Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Week 9 of spiritual practices, and so this is really awesome. This is um, our way of uh, discovering more of what uh, the life of Jesus looks like in our day and age. Uh, here at City, we are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together. Uh, we do so in community, but we also do so uh, through practical uh, life changes. You know, uh, we don't believe that transformation is just uh, things, stuff that happens in a moment, but we believe uh, a big chunk of the work that goes into a transformed life is actually making small incremental changes in the right direction. Are you all with me? Are you following me? Yeah. Yes. And so this is week nine of spiritual practices. I have a lovely little practice to uh, share with you today. And I also would like to announce that we are actually extending the series. We are going to go for a 10th week. A 10th week. Longest series ever in the life of the city. 10th week. Uh, and uh, in, the, in the next week, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to spoil it a bit. We're going to bookend the series with a bunch of other teaching, but we're also going to do something called Loose Ends. And so, uh, you know, from what we have... Uh, you know, discovered chatting with a bunch of you is that you know, there's like a lot of questions surrounding the spiritual practices, including specific ones. Uh, it is just not at all possible to cover the full uh, entirety of some of these uh, practices in just one sermon. So I bet there's a bunch of questions. Uh, and so we're going to let you know how uh, the different platforms that you can get your questions in through us. And uh, I'm going to be answering some of those questions together with Matt and Janice. Matt and Janice will do 80% of the work. I'll just stand here and look pretty, because I'm the pretty one. Anyway, and Janice, Janice is the pretty one. And then me. And then third is someone else. Okay. Hey, okay. This, we are off to a good start. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Alright, so we are on week 9 spiritual practices, going for week 10, and uh, you know, the sense we, we have as a team is that we'll probably do a season 2 of spiritual practices. There's just so many, and so we're going uh, to look at a bunch more uh, probably next year. No, it's not me. It's me. It's you. It's them. <laughs> Sorry. We're still trying to figure out. I think maybe my face got rounder recently, and so the mic... What? That's so mean. That's so mean. <laughs> yeah, maybe it doesn't fit as well. All right, let's pray before I lose you, shall we? Right? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the great joy and privilege of coming together in your house. God, we thank you that you are here with us. Lord, we thank you that we can enter into your courts with praise, with gratitude in our hearts, that we can experience you in such a manner. Lord, we don't take lightly your presence. Lord, we thank you for the great promise of Scripture that when two or three are gathered in your name, that you are here with us. God, we thank you that you are here in our midst, even right now. You are in the very air that we breathe. You are all around us, surrounding us. You are very present in this moment. God, we acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge your person in this room. God, we thank you for your voice that is still speaking to us. God, we thank you that you are not just a person who lived some 2,000 years ago, but you are here in our midst. You are very real, very present. So God, we ask that you will open our hearts, quicken our ears to hear your voice today. Lord, we know that you are speaking so today we posture our hearts, our bodies, our souls to hear your voice. So God, we ask, speak, we are listening. Speak, we are listening. We invite you to move. We invite you to stir our hearts. We invite you to lead us and guide us. Even as we look upon your word, speak to us. We thank you for this great joy and privilege of communing with you. God, we ask indeed that our lives will be transformed and shaped by your presence. God, I thank you that we are not transformed by the simple eloquence of preaching or by the depth of research, but we are transformed by your Holy Spirit. So God, we ask for your Spirit to come, to move, to rule, to reign. Have your way in us. Have your way in this place. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Amen. Now, 
I remember a time when I was uh, sitting for a Chinese paper. That was a long, 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 long time ago. And I still have traumatic memories of uh, sitting for that paper. Now, I didn't go to school a long time ago, but uh, back in the day, uh, we had these like composition kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things they allowed you to bring into the exam hall, uh, I think when you're primary four, primary five onwards, is you can bring your zi dian to the, to, the, to, to the exam hall, right? Zi dian is your dictionary, right? I know, I know my Chinese. You can bring your dictionary to the exam hall. And what is designed to help you is that, no, you, you know, if you're like me, right, your composition is like half Chinese characters, half like Han Yu Pinging, you know, because, or like, you know, the, the way the Chinese character ought to sound because you have no idea how to write it. It's so complicated. Sometimes I struggle even with my own name. But uh, I would bring, <laughs> you are allowed to bring your dictionary to the hall and actually help you. You can reference the words in there and find the words. Sometimes you have pictures and all that good stuff. Very good. And so uh, I remember, you know, I, it was a, a, a while before I had to sit for uh, that particular paper that I'm talking about. And so, you know, I had uh, all the stuff ready. I put my dictionary in my school bag. And then I got to the exam hall. And then as I got to the exam hall, I, I chucked it on the table. And I began to write, right? I began to write. And then, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I, I, can't, I don't know what this Chinese character is, the way it's to be written. Let me go and reference my dictionary. And then I opened my dictionary. And to my horror, I found the first eight alphabets of the dictionary missing. It was this chunk. This chunk was missing. Now, I have no idea where it went. Uh, it got raptured, maybe. I have no idea where it went. Probably dropped out or something. Uh, I didn't have a dog then, so probably wasn't eaten. But, man, there are a lot of Chinese words in the first eight alphabets. And so I have to be restricted with the remaining uh, Chinese characters in the dictionary. Now, uh, the year after that, they were like, hey, you know, this like, big dictionary thing is like redundant and it's like, so old school. Now you can have like, the electronic ones. And so the year after me, they like, introduced electronic ones where you didn't even have to flip anymore. You can just like, punch it in and then the words will come out all nice, all digital, all sleek and compact. And that's my story. You know, if, I was like, you know, if I was born a year later, I would probably get A1 for my Chinese. You know, let's not kid ourselves. Probably would not happen. Anyway, well, uh, all that to say, you know, I was just like, reminiscing on like, uh, those days where like, you... Know, you how many of you grew up with like encyclopedias and like dictionaries? Like I had like a massive Colin Corbutes. Colin Corbutes, no? None of you? Like it's this thick. It's like make me look really smart. You know, sometimes I would like read a dictionary in front of a girl to impress her, show her how smart I was. I had like all these encyclopedias at home and uh and it was like really great. And I still uh love uh the young person, you know, I still would remember times when I read the encyclopedias. Now I, I read this article uh recently and it's so sad. It's from 2012. And it says, uh, the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica drops print and goes digital only. Right? It's, it, they, they stopped printing Encyclopedia and it's now only completely digital. So after 244 years of printing volumes of books, the Encyclopedia publisher shifts toward computer-only access. Right? How many of you remember having like, sets of encyclopedias? Good old days. And the headline of the article that I just read, it, it reads this way. Wikipedia and the internet just killed 244-year-old Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> That's some killer headline. Well, don't get me wrong, okay? Don't get me wrong in, in, in all that I'm saying, right? I love the internet and what advances in technology and how it makes our life easier, right? I love that today when I drive on the road, I don't have to reference a street directory. I have like, Google Maps, so I don't have to park on the side of the road, put hazard light and like, break out the map and like, try and figure it out. We have Google Maps, you know, and... So awesome, right? I love these advances. advances. But I've realized, you know, just the way things work, that often the increase of something would, would often mean the demise of something else. Often the increase of something would often lead to the demise of something else, right? An increase in the accessibility of information online would mean the demise of books in print. We've seen that with the encyclopedia, right? Increase in accessibility of information online would mean the demise of books in print. You no longer have to lug the massive books around. It's actually, for the most part, a good thing. But I've also noticed that with an increase in the accessibility of information online, it's also led to the demise of human interaction. Human interaction, particularly in the areas of guidance, counsel, and help. Guidance, counsel, and help. You know, how many of you, the last time you know you, you needed advice, you needed a piece of information, you needed 
uh, a recipe, you went to a friend instead of def defaulting to Google. How many of you have done that in recent years? None of you. Most of us would go to Google almost instantly, right? Yeah. Where do you turn when you need help? When, when you are struggling, when you need to relieve the burden from your soul, shoulders and your soul. In the past, you would confide in someone you trusted or take it to the grave. You know, you would confide or take it to the grave. One or two options. Today, we have a third. You go to Google. And over the last several years, I, you know, I, as I said earlier, I've noticed a trend in my thinking. When I'm facing a challenge, an obstacle, something that you know, I, I, I'm just struggling with, uh, instead of uh, leaning on a friend or going to a person, I would almost instantly go to Google. Now, I just love hate thing with Google. I love the search engine, hate the Android. But anyway, statistics show that Google now processes over 40,000 search queries every second on average, which translates to over 3.5 billion searches per day and 1.2 trillion searches per year worldwide. This is like half the world making a Google search once a day. Now, these stats has led me to ask the question, how often do I go to Google for answers instead of God? Right? It's led me to this, this question. How often do I go to Google for answers instead of God and community? Uh, Scott Galloway wrote uh, this brilliant book on uh, the four DNAs of uh, some of the major tech companies. He writes this, Google is our modern man's God. We trust Google more than any entity in history. The internet is changing the way we access information, seek advice, and ultimately think. But I think it goes even deeper than that. We turn to the search engine more than we turn to our fathers, our mothers, our friends, our spiritual leaders. Kalbaf, the great theologian, says this, how can God give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? Here are some questions that I've asked myself recently, you know, with my relationship to Google and whether I view it as a God, you know. Here are some questions I'd like to pose it to you and you can begin to ask yourself uh, where you stand on, on this whole thing. Number one, when I have a problem in life, is my first inclination to ask Google or to ask God. Number two, do I search Google for answers more than I search the Bible? Number three, do I follow what the expert Google helped me find says more than paying attention and doing what God says? And truthfully, at this point in my life, my answer is yes to all three. In view of that, you know, I started experimenting with like, trying to wean off my dependence on Google. You know, I love to Google. I, probably, I just tracked it. Uh, I did like, something like 100 searches this week. Now search like recipes, meanings to words, and stuff like that. And so a couple of weeks ago, I experimented. I tried to spend a whole week without Googling. I, I would encourage you to try doing that. It's horrific. And, and you can't replace it with another search engine, uh, just completely no search engine. And so I would text people like, hey, you know, I need a recipe to this. Can you, can you give me a recipe? Or, hey, you know, uh, what's the name of that movie that we once saw? Or like, hey, what's the meaning of this word? And more often than not, I would say 90% of the time, the response I get from the person is, just go and Google lah. To which I was like, you don't get it. You know, I'm trying to like wean off my dependence and trying to like realign my heart and... They just don't get it. <clears throat> Any of you are Googling me now? Anyway. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we revert to some prehistoric, like, pre-digital age, you know. We go back to, like, encyclopedias, like, Google is evil, it's of the Satan, like, just get off it. I'm not saying that. It's a good thing, right? For the most part, this sermon is brought to you by Google, right? <laughs> you know? I need it. We all need it, right? It's good for research. It's good for all that stuff. We... We, it has a tremendous uh, value uh, in our life today. But we also have to admit that, in, that um, in view of our cultural climate, both culturally and technologically, it's the easiest it ever has been to lean on our own understanding. To lean on our own understanding and to not trust God in all our ways. It is the easiest it ever has been. With the high accessibility to information, we are, in many ways, self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-sustained. And it's the easiest it ever has been to lean on our own understanding. We have grown to not need people and to a large extent not need God in our daily life anymore. It's easy to come to conclusions about matters and make decisions with all that is at our disposal. Our lives are growing to be largely independent of God. One teacher and preacher notes that most Christians today are functional atheists, 
functional atheist. Now I'm going to pass out what that means, functional atheist. That term is used to depict those identifying as Christians but live as though there is no God to which they are accountable. They make important decisions about life without consulting scripture or praying. They are void of communion with God and God is only invoked and called upon in matters of crises. Sad to say, this is such an apt description of where we are at in the modern church. We live life without God at the center and forefront of our decisions. Where we are able, God is simply not needed. If I have the resources, if I have the know-how, if I have access to the information, God is simply not needed. Increasingly so, we have areas of life that we have curated for ourselves, void of the voice of God, void of the counsel of God, void of the guidance of God. The question is then, is this the life that we are to live? As the cliche goes, cliche for a reason, it's either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Today, many of us live, live disjointed, fragmented lives where we have areas that are full of God. We come to church, but we also have curated for ourselves significant portions of our life that are void of the voice, counsel, and guidance of God, either by design or by simple ignorance. Now, question is, have we become too self-sufficient? Right? And what is a spiritual practice that will teach us to live a life guided and led by God, a life of surrender, where we grow to yield our whole life, not just the parts that are beyond our ability, to the voice and leadings of God? And then brings me to the spiritual practice of discernment. Today, for week nine, of spiritual practices, I'd like to speak to you on the practice of discernment. Discernment. Now, this word brings up all sorts of feelings and thoughts in some of you, but I will explain it as we go. Discernment is one way of framing this practice. Uh, other teachers call this practice guidance, developing a practice of guidance. Now, my goal here is for some of you to rediscover really value for hearing the voice of God in your decision-making to practice discernment. But... It's more so for all of you to put thought into developing some kind of framework, uh, process, if you will, for decision-making in Christendom, right? To develop Christian decision-making process, if you will, okay? Because we will constantly have to make decisions, right? Life is such. You you are constantly being placed in positions where you have to make decisions, and the need is repetitive. And in my book, if a need is repetitive, then you need some form of structure or system or framework in order to mitigate that need. Am I making sense to you? Yeah. Uh, recently, you know, I, I, I bought a house uh, last year and uh, we were going around looking at different houses and uh, I don't know how many of you are type A like me, you know, I have my lists. I have like a bunch of lists, stuff that I want, areas that, that I, I want to live in, uh, how much it costs the features, the layout, all that good stuff. And I had all these things, you know, in my list and I was going around viewing different houses. Now I was going into a, a particular house, my realtor, and then uh, in that house had everything I wanted, everything I wanted. It checked off all the boxes. The layout was right. Uh, the location was right. Everything was right about the house. It was just good, 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 good. Now I walked in and I was like, man, this is, this is it. I think this is it. And so I walked out and... Uh, my realtor, which I then forgot was also a Christian, uh, he said to me, it's like, um, Andre, do you feel the peace of God in this house? I was like, uh, okay, that's a weird question from a realtor, but I was like, hmm, uh, wasn't really going after that, but sure. <laughs> so so I, I went back home, and then I was like, man, you know, there's no peace. But I checked off all the boxes, I checked off all the boxes, so there was like peace here, but uh, there was no peace internally, I just didn't feel that it was... Right, and then uh, long story short, you know, we didn't go for that house and we went for the one we have now, which is like way, 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 way better. Uh, but that little, uh, that little, you know, uh, occasion uh, brought to mind something and it's something really uh, concerning that uh, for a lot of decisions in my life, especially the ones that I know I have like the practical insight, I know I have the resources to solve, to mitigate, um, I really have not. I really don't have a value for the voice of God in some of these decisions. Um, you know, because in my head, I was like, I just need to check off the boxes, right? and then this will be the right house. But he was asking me, like, the peace of God, you know, the delight, do you feel his presence here, kind of stuff. And I was like, man, you know, like, um, I have built for myself um, this framework that does not uh, 
it does not communicate my value for the things of God. And I do deeply value the things of God, but somehow, some way, in my decision-making, it doesn't reflect that value, and I knew I needed to change. I knew I needed to put some work in. This sense of self-reliance, of being self-sufficient. Uh, Derek Prince, a brilliant pastor and author, he wrote the book, They Shall Expel Demons. We shall talk about that one day. Uh, Derek Prince, uh, he, wrote, he wrote a bunch of books. Great, great man, great author. He calls uh, this sense of self-reliance, of being self-sustained, of living, uh, you know, secured in your own understanding ability, the sin of independence. Now, that super strong word, sin of independence, how is independence like in any way immoral or evil? And Derek Prince goes on to explain that independence is the core trait of fallen people, of fallen angels, that need, that one, that desire to be independent of God, the longing for power that makes us able, that makes us independent, we don't need God anymore, that craving for independence is a sin, is a sin. Now, super, super strong language. And in my book, the way we battle with that uh, innate urge to be independent, to be self-sufficient, is by practicing discernment, is by practicing guidance. Are you with me? Very cool. Have you ever tried to help a Christian friend make a decision? An adult Christian friend... It's a very confusing process. Very, very confusing. Some Christians believe God's will can be found in the most difficult and sacrificial of the two options. Like, wow, that road is so dark, it's so painful, it's so arduous. That's the will of God. <laughs> that, that, that is right, right. Some believe that that is the, the will of God in the midst of two options. Others believe the complete opposite. Right? Others believe that the, the will of God is the choice that brings like, the most money, the most perks, the most success, the most personal gain, the most blessing, the road of high favor. That is like the will of God. Right? Some people believe that uh, being resistant or not wanting to do something, like, you know, you're like, wow, you just really hate this thing. Right? Like for me, you know, like, I just like, can't with the Chinese language. Right? I'm just terrible with it. Right? Then for sure, man, you're called to China. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. And for a while, right, I actually thought that way. And so I would buy books in two translations, English and Chinese, and try to like educate myself. Yeah, you can see that I've made significant progress since then. But you know, for a while, right, for a whole year, I was like convinced that I was called to China because that was like, I was like, I just don't see that happening. And so wrote off like long suffering for me. I was like, that must be it. Some people believe uh, the opposite, right? The road of like, Ease, comfort, least resistance. That is the will of God. So hard to help Christians come to decisions, right? Now, the word discernment conjures up different ideas and feelings for a good chunk of you, right? For some, you know, we think of it mainly uh, as it pertains to spiritual things like discerning the times and season, or like, well, this guy confirmed got a demon inside him, that kind, or like, I sense here, you know, and we think discernment is mainly a gift uh, pertaining to spiritual things, and I, I use air quotes, spiritual things, you know, and we think discernment is only mainly utilized uh, in church function, and it's for a select group of people that look a certain way. Now, uh, for most, discernment may be more than just a sense of feeling. It's like Christian ESP. It's like, you know, I can kind of like figure it out. It has little to no implications. But I do think that the gift of discernment is to be exercised beyond that, beyond church function, beyond just a sense or feeling. It is to, it is to, the gift of discernment is to permeate all areas of life. Now, I'm doing a lot of uh, broad strokes here, but we're going to end the sermon narrow, right? We're going to start big and we're going to end narrow. Kind of like my weight these days, but we're going to start big and we're going to end <laughs> narrow. Hey, I'm on the right track. Okay, now when we talk about discernment today, uh, there are important components that we need to be holding on to. Timothy Gallagher, who wrote a book on the Ignatian approach to decision making. Awesome stuff. Where's my bro Isaac? He writes of these components when discussing on the subject of discernment. Uh, here are some of the components. One, it's a choice of some significance. So it's not like, am I going to eat McDonald's later? Am I going to eat waffles? What kind of waffles am I going to eat? A square one or the one that is folded together? It's a choice of some significance. Uh, two, we are free to choose either option. That's why we need discernment. And three, all the options before us are good. Now, this is where we need to exercise the gift of discernment. Now, when I talk about discernment today, I'm not talking about discerning between good and evil or moral and immoral like should I just like, you know, steal? Maybe I should discern. 
No, brother, like, it's a done deal. I'm pretty, I, I don't even need to sense in order to tell you to do it or not to do it. It's not that kind of discernment between good, evil, moral, immoral. But we are focusing instead on the challenge of having multiple good options before us and figuring out and finding what the God option is, right? Multiple good options before us and trying to discover and discern what the God option is. How many of you have been placed in scenarios like that? Just seven of us. Great. The rest of you, you're doing good, man. Awesome. Live your life. Now, uh, the challenge of discernment that we are talking about is that all the options have in their own way some kind of merit or appealing. And we need to grow in our understanding of the leadings of God in our lives to go beyond weighing out the best option to finding what His hand is upon. Now, I've, I've learned over time that the best option, the most practical and feasible option may not necessarily always be the God option. And there are tons of stories in the Bible that would reflect that truth as well. Now, we've thrown the big word discernment out a bunch already. Let's look to some definitions of guys who are smarter than you and me. Let's go. Maybe just me. Ernest Larkin says this, discernment in its fullness takes a practice heart, fine-tuned to hear the word of God, and a single-mindedness to follow that word in love. Ruth Haley Barton writes, discernment is first of all a habit, a way of seeing that eventually permeates our whole life. It's a journey from spiritual blindness, not seeing God anywhere, or seeing Him only where we expect to see Him, to spiritual sight. From blindness to sight. Finding God everywhere. Beautiful. A couple other definitions. Henry Nouwen says this, Discernment is a spiritual understanding and an experiential knowledge of how God is active in daily life that is acquired through disciplined spiritual practice. Discernment is faithful living and listening to God's love and direction so that we can fulfill our individual calling and shared mission. Last one, St. Ignatius says this, it's finding God in all things in order that we might love and serve God in all. In order that we might love and serve God in all. Now, we often relegate discernment to just a sense, a thought, or some kind of internal feeling. But it does us good to know that all through Scripture, the word that is used for discernment is not just a sense or a thought, but it refers precisely to acting out, to living out that judgment, that feeling, that sense and thought. And so discernment doesn't just, you know, isn't just restricted to just a feeling. It actually ought to translate to some kind of practical outworking. And we see it all through the definition. It's finding God in all things in order that we might love and serve God in all. That is the goal, in order that we might love and serve God in all. Now, this sermon sounds like a big term, but it's as simple as taking time aside to seek and wait on God for decisions in life. Are you with me? For us, we find ourselves in one of three camps, right? Number one, always discerning, never deciding. We're always discerning, never deciding. We're like, I want a sense, I want a sense. I want a sense, I want a sense. And we don't do anything, right? And most of the time, that is based on some kind of fear of punishment. We're, we are so uncertain of our security in, in God's house as a son and daughter. Or have not seen it modeled well. How does it actually uh, look like to practically live it out? And we're always discerning, never deciding. Right? The next one is that we're always deciding, never discerning. We're like very reactive. Right? We're like, I need to do it, I need to do it, I need to do it. And we never actually take time to seek, to wait, to rest, to ask for guidance. The place that we all want to get to is this. Number three, deciding from a place of discernment. Deciding from a place of discernment. Now, when we make decisions, we typically do so in four ways. Right? Four ways. Number one, Pros and cons list. How many of you do the pros and cons list here? You know, have like a full scap paper, one side pros, one side cons. You draw a line in the middle, the side that has the most pros. You're like, yeah, you know, let's just go for it. You have decisions before you put a line in the middle and you weigh it out, right? This is a helpful approach. Don't get me wrong. It's a helpful approach. But it's largely based on practicality and feasibility. This is a great tool, but a terrible start point. Because you, can't check, because you can check off the boxes, it can be the most practical, well-thought-out decision, but it may not necessarily be God's will. Yeah. Number two, a typical way we make decisions is just by how we feel. Like, what is your gut feeling? What is? You know, do you feel good about it or do you feel bad? Right? We do so through feelings, and that's how we often operate. Right? Whether we feel, that it's feel good or feel bad, it's more... Uh, it's less of like the God's sense of His presence, but more like an internal kind of feeling. 
Number three, uh, I call this the lucky dip Uja board kind of relationship with the Bible, where we like, you know, try and flip the Bible and it's like, uh, and then you poke, and then you try and find, you know. Some of you all laugh because, you know, you have done it, or, right. Yeah, there's this story of like some preacher who actually did it and like the verse popped out and then he poked and the verse went, uh, and Judas hung himself. <laughs> and then he was like, this can't be it. And so he flipped it again and he tried to poke another one and the next verse says, uh, go and do likewise. <laughs> and so, he's still around, he's still around. Don't, 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 don't fear, don't fear. Lucky deep, which are about kind of relationship with the Bible, right? And the fourth one is, uh, and this is the most common out of all of them, is we throw a fleece. We throw a fleece, and this is out of the story of Gideon, where we attach an answer to a sign, kind of like, God, you know, if I go out later and it rains, that means you say no. Or God, if I go out later and it doesn't rain, that means you say yes. Now we do this often, and uh, we, we throw a fleece, you know, and we're like, yeah, you know, we're supernatural spiritual people. Now, um... I'm sure all of you have like, tried at least one of these at some point in your lives, and some of you might have been successful, some of you might have not been so successful. But I will say that uh, these, uh, though they might be valid expressions of prayer for you, they are, it's not necessarily prayerful discernment. And I'll make a case for prayerful discernment today. Okay, Bob Manfred has this brilliant quote. Uh, he says this about seeking signs. Signs are given to us because God meets us on the level where we operate. In guidance, when God shows us a sign, it doesn't matter we've received the final answer. A sign means we're on the way. On the highway, we may pass a sign saying New York, 100 miles. The sign doesn't mean we've reached New York, but it tells us we are on the right road. Next slide. He goes on to say, But on the other hand, God wants to bring us beyond the point where we need signs to discern His guiding hand. Satan cannot counterfeit the peace of God or the love of God dwelling in us. When Christ's abiding presence becomes our guide, then guidance becomes an almost unconscious response to the gentle moving of His Holy Spirit within us. Now, um, it's so funny because I know I was praying uh, into this sermon uh, yesterday and I was like doing the work for it and I wasn't really sure if this was the, the right one, the thing to go for. No, there are so many other practices. I thought of like a much easier one that would require less time to prepare for and I was like doing this and it, it, was, it was getting a bit tough. And then about like 5, 6 p.m., you know, my computer crashed. And then I lost about, you know, some 10 to 12 hours of work. And then I was like, man, this is a sign that I'm to take the easier one. <laughs> you know, and I was like, thank you, Lord, for your provision. And, 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 you know, and so, you know, I was like all ready and set to take the easier one. But it's just something in me, you know, I didn't have the peace, the, the sense for it. I knew that, uh, you know, even though it was the road of like, a lot more suffering that this was the right message to go for. Now, you know, uh, there are many reasons why my laptop crashed. Uh, you know, probably not the divine provision of the Lord, probably because I opened too many tabs and never clicked the autosave function. But anyway, you know, I, I don't know how many of you actually uh, wrestle with some stuff like that. You know, there are like signs or you ask for signs and it doesn't really pan out and you don't feel the peace. And how do you actually navigate through some of these stuff? Now, God's desire for you and I is to grow and mature into people who are able to discern His will effectively and live it out accordingly. Discernment, in many ways, is a trait of the spiritually mature. It says this in Hebrews chapter 5. We have a Bible verse up that makes this sermon legal. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish. In some uh, translations it says discern right from wrong. It is not something, discernment, that's restricted to a special group of people within the church. But it is the goal of all of us who desire spiritual maturity. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? This sounds like very high-level, airy-fairy, like out-there kind of stuff, right? Is this something that's even for me? It sounds like an advanced-level, full-time ministers-only kind of a thing. Is this something for me? The case I'm making for you today is that discernment is to be one of the core traits of all who desire spiritual growth and maturity. Now, the will of God seems burdensome for some, redundant for most, right? Like, why do I need to figure this out? I just try to stay true to the straight, straight and narrow, keep away from anything immoral, try my best not to sin, and then before I die, I just say the sinner's prayer and I should be in the clear, right? Some of you think that, whoa, this is like the way that life ought to be. Now, discovering the will of God is language that has been lost uh, in the church in recent years or at least in my opinion, much of the weight and meaning that is to be attached to it has been watered down over time. 
For many, when we are talking about dis- discovering the will of God, the pursuit of discovery is mainly fueled by a desire to avoid any kind of punishment or suffering that comes with a wrong decision. Like we are concerned about the will of God in our life because we want to avoid any kind of punishment or um, consequence of making a wrong decision. We want to be like found in the right place because of some kind of fear that fuels us. Or we are concerned about discovering the will of God because we're concerned about finding the path that will lead to the greatest blessing or comfort. Now, both motivations are gravely wrong. Now, with that being said, how and why then should we discern and discover the will of God? Psalms 40 verse 1 to 8 gives us an excellent foundation on how and why we ought to discern the will of God. Psalms 40, start thinking in verse 1. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon rock and established my steps. Verse 3, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Next slide. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I were to declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Next slide. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. Verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will, my God. The psalmist, in verses 1 to 7, he allows his thinking to be shaped, his paradigm to be formed before arriving in verse 8. If you read, read that, that psalm in its entirety, you'll see him recounting the goodness, the faithfulness, the power of God that met him in his despair and how God delivered him. He was rejoicing, recounting the goodness, the power, the faithfulness of God from verse 1 to 7. And he arrives at verse 8 with a remarkable declaration. It is my delight to do your will, O God. Notice what he says. To do your will. My delight is to do your will. Not just consider, not just think about, not just appreciate. My delight is to do. The key word here is delight. To take joy, to celebrate that God is good. That is what the psalmist seeks, discerns, and does the will of God. It is his delight and joy. Now this is the basis of why we are going after the will of God. My theory is, if God is the great delight of your heart, then His will would be the great delight of your life. If God is the great delight of your heart, then His will would be the great delight of your life. A. Calhoun says this, To know God's will, we must be assured of God's love. The sermon depends on a deep trust in God's good intention toward us. David Branagh has, has this to say. St. Ignatius of Loyola notes that sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Until I am absolutely convinced of this, I will do everything I can to keep my hands on the controls of my life because I think I know better than God what I need for my fulfillment. And we bridge the gap between what we want, where we're at now, and what we know we ought to want through the practice of discernment, where we realign our disordered heart to the way He intended for things to be. We discern, and then we do His will. The question that discernment brings to the forefront is the question, what does God want? What does God want with me? What does God want in this situation? What does God want through me? might not always be the most lucrative option, the most feasible, or even the most impactful. Hear me in saying this, or even the most impactful. It is what does God want. This is the core of the sermon. And this practice affirms Christ's lordship in our lives. The beauty of this practice is that God doesn't just demand it of you and expect you to figure out. He makes every provision for you to enter into this practice. The beauty of this is that God is not just one 
who, who signs off on your well-crafted plans. He is your guide. He is your counsel. James chapter 1 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God doesn't just demand that we live a guided life without making the provision for us to do so. We are all here, I believe so, because we have professed Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, right? And it does us good to take a step back and evaluate if He is truly Lord in our lives. Here's a quick few questions I'd like to propose to you even as we wrap up in a bit. Number one, how is your life currently guided by God? If you were to trace the decisions that you've made in the last year, can the fingerprints of God, His voice, His leadings, His counsel be seen in these decisions? Number two, do you seek God for major decisions or only in times of crisis? Is God present, His voice present, even in the everyday mundane decisions of life? Or is He a name that we invoke only in matters of crisis? Is God truly God of our lives in His entirety? Number three, does the thought of giving God control of your whole life fill you with fear or assurance? Wrong fill. Fill you with fear or assurance. Number four, do you have a way that you actively seek God's voice in the decisions that you make? Is there a way that you practically and actively engage with the voice of God? Or do you approach His voice, His counsel, as something that just comes to you when it comes to you? Something like with a lottery mentality. When it comes, it comes. Or is there a way that you practically and actively engage with His voice? My point is this. Discernment, doing His will, being found in His will, is not a place we arrive naturally or instantly at the point of our salvation. We get here through a regular discipline of exercising discernment, seeking His guidance in decisions, but also constantly positioning ourselves to fall deeper in love with Jesus. If God is the great delight of our hearts, then His will will be the great delight of our lives. Now, uh, I would like to speak for the rest of my time on how do we actually practice prayerful discernment. Now, I'm going to give you the framework to which I've adopted for my life. Uh, This is how I practice prayerful discernment. This is not a formula, okay? Hear me in saying this. This is not a formula. This is not like once you check off all the points, you'll get your answers, you'll, you'll know the way of God and all that kind of stuff. But this is a framework. This is how I've approached decisions in my life. And the goal here is for you to discover, to build one for yourselves, to build a framework for decision making such that you know you can lean on the framework uh, when you uh, engage with decisions. The goal here is to try and do this regularly and practice even with decisions that aren't huge, necessarily uh, really catastrophic, and within the scope of your ability. Number one, when I practice prayerful discernment, I like to uh, outline the decision. I like to outline the decision, what it's about, the reason, and implications. I like to write it down. And it's not so much a pros and cons list, but all the information surrounding the decision. Number two, I practice and I pray uh, for openness. Uh, in the uh, Ignatian uh, Persuasion, uh, they call this the prayer of indifference. It's a state of inner freedom and openness uh, that allows uh, us to be open to the will of God above all else, to be open to His voice. Number three, I list down uh, my feelings and sensings. Now, sensings is uh, what you feel God is saying surrounding the decision. Number four, that's when I list down my pros and cons. I make a list of pros and cons connected with the decision. I look through the list and see if there's something on the list that clearly violates the counsel of scripture, if it's immoral, then that's where I know that this is not probably the best decision. All right? Now I list down the pros and cons and I weigh it out. Number five, I seek for head and heart alignment. I try and find a decision that makes uh, practical sense to me. God doesn't want you to chuck your brain out the window. He wants you to use it. And I also, you know, trying to find some kind of alignment with how I feel and what I'm sensing God is saying. I try to find an alignment. A couple of quotes that have guided my decision making is, Uh, one that goes, in God's will is our peace. And the other one is, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. In my decisions, you know, do I sense the peace and the joy, the delight, the pleasure of God? Number six, you know, I consider how it may affect others, how it may affect someone else, you know, 
particularly if it's like a major move or something you want to embark on, how will it affect people around you? And I pray for and speak to them if, after if applicable. Number seven, I ask for courage and wisdom to live the decision out. Now, often when I engage with this, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't hear the voice of God immediately. I don't get a sensing immediately. And I don't know how many of you can relate with that. You know, taking something to God in prayer, you might not sense it Im- immediately. Uh, what do you do when you don't hear anything? Uh, a couple of things I do. I ask if uh, there's any hindrance in me, if there's any obstacles to me hearing the voice of God, and I pray for those to be taken down. Uh, I also take it to godly counsel. I take it to uh, my significant other. I ask for counsel and wisdom. And I also do the, uh, take this extra step of revisiting prophetic words, promises, or uh, you know, I look at my journal, what, has, what was the last thing that God spoke to me and whether I have been faithful in living it out. All this to say, you know, these two kind of approaches in making practical decision-making, you do so also with seeking counsel and getting agreement from your significant others. All right? Are you good? Yeah. Tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. Now, I've waited some like five years to share this story, but this is a, a great time uh, for me to give you a bit of insight into like how I make decisions and, and all that good stuff. Um, now, uh, in my second year in, in, uh, in the school of ministry, I, uh, I was spending a lot of time praying into uh, uh, reconciliation and... <laughs> okay. <Let me> get... <laughs> Sorry, I get distracted. Uh, I was praying really uh, a lot for my family. You know, back then, uh, I had gotten saved and uh, my, uh, my siblings were not in church yet. And... Uh, and I was uh, praying for um, my family. You know, uh, my family, you know, grew really close. Uh, but you know, when I became a Christian, I I uh, started distancing myself a lot from my family. Uh, you know, um, and I think you know where I'm going with this. But particularly, you know, because when we were younger, uh, in all our family gatherings, we would uh, break out a bottle of wine. We break out a bottle of wine, and all of us would drink wine together. And I started doing that uh, since I was 12 years old. When I got saved, <laughs> that might speak into a parenting strategy, but when I got saved at, at about 16, 17, I decided that, you know what, I need to distance myself away from the world. And so I decided to distance myself away from my family. And so uh, one of the ways I did that was, you know, I, I completely abstained from alcohol. I believe there's great wisdom in doing so, but I completely abstained from alcohol. And, uh, and the scene would go, you know, we would have family gathering, uh, they would break out a bottle of wine, and they would only pour out four wine glasses instead of five. And so I would take a drink of water and I would sit away from my family members. And even though I wasn't going after distance and separation and trying to draw a line between me and them, uh, in many ways, my actions uh, communicated that. And so, you know, I remember in my second year of school ministry, I was spending some time interceding for my family and asking God, like, God, I, I need a way to bridge that gap, that divide. Like, help me reconcile with my family members. I want to see, like, uh, you break through with my family, blah, blah, blah. And I was really spending time in intercession. And then all of a sudden, I had this deep impression in me. It was a deep impression. And, and uh, I haven't had one uh, that, that has been as deep for a long, long time. And inside, I felt uh, God saying to me, I want you to drink again. Now, uh, <laughs> now you, you, must, you must understand. You must understand. A good chunk of us grew up in a persuasion where like alcohol and like any form of drinking, I wouldn't call it banned, but it was just highly, highly discouraged. And if you want to be in leadership, you didn't drink and all that, all that good stuff. And I believe there's tremendous wisdom in that. I like to preface everything that I'm saying with like, I'm not at all advocating for like alcoholism. We're not going to like change a rabina to wine. We're not going to do any of that, right? You know, um... There's great wisdom in abstaining if you know you have a bent, right? You know, some of you, you know you're prone to certain mental conditions or you're prone to developing addictions. You should abstain from alcohol, right? And the, 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 uh, the, the way I, I would navigate with some of these things is that, you know, you ask yourself a question every now and then. If I were to, like, drop it completely, right, will I feel it? You know, do I, have I developed an unnecessary dependence on it? Can I let go of it? And if you can't, that thing is slowly becoming an idol in your life. And so with that whole alcohol thing, right, I was like, wow, you know, where did that come from? And I still very much was a part of that persuasion. Like, I believe that, you know, you should abstain from all forms of alcohol. 
And so my instinctive response was, get behind me, Satan. You know, thou shall not tempteth me. And the thing about it is that every night when I went to bed and when I started praying and interceding, that same thought would uh, emerge in my spirit. And every night I would rebuke it, I would dismiss it. I shot, that, I shot a text to a few of my friends. I was like, I'm under spiritual warfare. There's this temptation in me, you know, like... He's trying to like tempt me with a different spirit, you know? And I was like, I was like, ha 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 ha. I was like, wow, where's this going? And, and what's, what's happening? You know, there's this like pool and lure and temptation. I need to fight it. And, you know, I was like getting prayer covering and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, whenever I passed like the alcohol store, I would like rebuke it, you know, and, and all that stuff. As a good Christian. Uh, but then, you know, after two months, I, I kid you not, every night that same thought would come in my head. You know, I was like, you know, I, I begin to wonder, could this be God? Could this be God, you know? Uh, and so I, I started a process of prayerful discernment. I would write down uh, this thought, this decision in front of me. I know this is not a big decision for most of you, but it was a big decision for me, right? I put this decision in front of me. I was like, like, God, like God if this is you, I, need, I will need you to, I, I want to like prayerfully consider, discern this and hear your voice. And invited counsel in my life. You know, I had like a bunch of pastors there, uh, some who drank, some who didn't drink, you know, and I got counsel from them. And I tried to get different opinions and insights. And I waited and I pondered and I prayed through decision, this decision for something like two months after. So the whole ordeal was like four months. It was four months uh, 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 since I heard that, that impression, I felt this impression in my spirit. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try. And uh, even after I made the, this, that decision, I was like, I'm just going to try it out. And if I'm wrong, God, like send some like prophet to rebuke me or something like that. You know, I was like asking for a sign. I wasn't all that mature then. And so, you know, uh, the long story short, you know, is um, we have this like family group, group text. And then uh, I don't know what possessed me. I decided to text in the, in the chat. I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to drink again. And this came out of nowhere. My parents were like, huh? Like, what's happening? And so, uh, in there, you know, I typed this like long text of like, how the love of God is like, has sent me Okay. And then, uh, I got back home after my time in school and I, I got back home. And remember, we had family dinner uh, that night when I got back. Now, this uh, was after like many, many years of like, not drinking, of like sitting away, you know, four wine glasses, have that imagery, just Andre with a glass of water, sometimes a cold, and I'll sit away as like, you do your drinking sinner thing, and I'll just be that good Christian, yeah. You know, and then, uh, and then we had family dinner, and then my dad orders a bottle of wine, and this time, instead of four wine glasses, they broke up five wine glasses instead, and then uh, they poured a glass on me, and then as you would, when you have a good bottle of wine, you'll be like, hey, you know, let's, let's cheers, let's have a toast. And so... I remember that scene till today, you know, when the glasses touch, right, I saw a tear in the corner of my dad's eye. Right. I know it sounds very dramatic, but that's, that's, how, that's how it played out in me. I was like, in my head, I was like, maybe I was yawning, I don't know. But in my head, right, the feeling I got was like, wow, you know, it's like, their son has returned. You know, it's like... <laughs> Small decision, right? But that, right, in my book, in my opinion, like catalyzed and built momentum to uh, where our family is at today. Today, we are super close. My, all my siblings are in church. My mom and dad are progressively getting more and more open. We are really tight and really well connected as a family. I'm not saying that alcohol did that, but I'm saying <laughs> when you discern, no, seriously, hear me saying, when you discern, when you pray through, when you seriously consider the things of God, right? When you take time, seek counsel, to work it through in your heart, in your spirit, and then you ask for courage to live it out, to do it. You know, that's when you see miracles. That's when you see breakthroughs. That's when you see the provision of God manifest in your life. And sometimes the way that God operates, the way that God brings some of these things might not always be the most intuitive. It might seem pretty radical. It might seem pretty far out. But the safety we have as children, as sons and daughters of God is His love secures and holds us and we can rest in His love for us. Are you with me? You know, I found uh, recently uh, this 
nighttime blessing of gospel love. Now, this is a prayer that parents will pray for their kids. It's a series of questions that uh, parents will take their children through uh, as a nighttime blessing, as a nighttime prayer. Now, this is such a beautiful uh, exercise and really spoke to me. I want to share it with you even as we close uh, today. The nighttime blessing of gospel love. Now, this is a series of questions between a parent and a child. A parent goes and starts off, starts this off by saying, do you see my eyes? Now, Tim might struggle with this because, you know, he blinks all the time. But anyway, <laughs> that was mean. Sorry, Andre. Sorry, Tim. Uh, parent starts off, uh, do you see my eyes? And child will respond, yes. Parent, do you see that I see your eyes? And child will respond, yes. Do you know that I love you? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God does. Even more than me? Yes. Rest in that love. Rest in that love. You know, we are... You can copy that prayer if one is on the slides. You can try it out with your kids. Some of them might say Santa Claus, but you know. <laughs> Rest in that love. Who else loves you like that? Santa Claus or mommy. Um, See, we, we, are, we are approaching, you know, the will of God seems so complex. It seems so filled with risk and, and uncertainty. And in many ways, it is true. But all of that is built on the absolute uh, certainty and foundation that we are absolutely loved by God, that we can rest in His love, that we can't in any ways screw it up so badly that, you know, we are we, have, we disqualify ourselves from the love of God. In many ways, our security is not in our ability to hear the voice of God, but our security is found in His absolute, undying, unchanging love for us. And that is why we delight to His will, because His delight is over us. We get to experience Him in peace and joy in doing His will. Can we stand? Let's uh, look at the previous slide of that, that nighttime blessing gospel of gospel love. And uh, now I, I, want, I want your eyes on the, on the screen even as uh, I, I read through this. And uh, the best way that you are able to, I want you to try and picture God saying these words to you. And in just a few moments, we're going to pray together. But I want you to try and, exp- uh, try and imagine uh, the voice of the Father saying this to you. Do you see my eyes? Yes. Do you see that I see your eyes? Yes. Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Next slide. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? Who loves you like that? God does. Rest in that love. Rest in that love. Let's take a few moments, close your eyes, and uh, let's just rest in the love of God. Just stand in the security of His love for us, His undying love for us that never changes, that never fades. Let's just take a moment. Thank you for your love, goodness, faithfulness, mercy, your kindness. Now here, here's a group of people I want to pray for today. You know, um, <clears throat> we all navigate through uh, countless decisions in life. Some big, some uh, you know slightly smaller in nature. But uh, decisions are, for the most part, tough and quite a lot of work. And uh, in many ways, I, I believe that decisions or uh, crossroads uh, in life are ways that we can affirm our belief in Jesus in His uh, place as Lord of our lives. Today, you know, um, in this moment, I'd like you to um, just bring a decision that you have to make uh, 
in the coming months and maybe in the next year before you, in front of you. I would like you to take just a moment and just invite the voice of God, invite His love, His counsel, His guidance to lead you in that decision. Offer that decision, offer that, uh, that obstacle in your life as a sign, as a means to affirm His place as Lord in your life. That you turn away from just leaning on your own understanding. You turn away from being self-sufficient, self-reliant. You're saying, God, I want your voice. I want you to speak. I want you to lead. I want you to guide me. I want you to be Lord in my life. Just take a moment. Just bring that decision before your eyes. Everyone engage. Just ask God to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us today.